0: Welcome back to the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. I am your host Jennifer Vaughn. This is episode 37 of the Don't Stop Me Now podcast. I am your HIV positive host. I always like to point that out to make sure everybody knows that I am not afraid to say that I have HIV. It is not a big deal. I am here really honestly to help destigmatize this virus that has for decades continually and unnecessarily shamed people into silence. I'm here to share my own experience with dating now that I'm HIV positive and single. Are you aware that the fear of disclosing to a potential partner is enough for some to give up love completely? It is totally true. And of course, the all too horrific reality that the fear of being outed or discovered is enough for some to end their lives either by stopping their meds altogether, which is actually considered a long and drawn out suicide, or by committing suicide in a faster fashion. But today we have medication that keeps us undetectable. It literally means that our viral load is like zero, like the labs can't even find it. We cannot. Let me repeat that again. We cannot transmit to our partners sexually, nor can women transmit HIV to their babies when they're undetectable and on treatment. Why all the stigma, everyone? Why all the stigma? I don't know, it just continues. I'm really tired of it to tell you the truth, but it's here and um, you know, that's my job to just talk about it as much as I can and hopefully it will lessen some of the stigma and it will help people change their minds and hopefully help change this narrative as we work on eradicating this virus. So today is Thanksgiving. It is November 25th. I meant to do this podcast yesterday, but I got busy getting ready for Thanksgiving. And I really wanted to do it yesterday because yesterday was the 30th anniversary of Freddie Mercury's death. Freddie Mercury is, of course, the lead singer of Queen. He died in 1991. November twenty fourth of AIDS, and I will get more into that in a moment. But before I do that, I wanted to talk a little bit about some other things that are going on. Well, first of all, Thanksgiving just happened. My um, ex husband just left. We just had the five of us here. It was um, me, my ex husband Chris, um, and our three kids. I got to tell you, okay, I don't eat meat. I really don't. But I thought, you know, if I'm going to buy a big ass turkey and it's, I'm going to be the one cooking it and It turns out good. I'm going to eat it, but I don't really want to eat meat, but it's there. So I'm going to eat it. So I did. I broke the rules. I made the best turkey I have ever made in my entire life. I haven't done a lot of Thanksgivings, but I think the other times that I've made Thanksgiving turkey, it was really dry. I don't know what I did this time, but it was perfect. Um, I did put butter under the skin. Owen looked that up on the internet just a little bit. Some salt and pepper on top, and I don't know, it was perfect. And then I did what most of you don't do, or maybe you do. I don't know. My stepmom taught me this a long time ago how to make real gravy. So, the way that she does it is she just takes the turkey out of the pan and then she puts the pan on the stove, and then she would add flour to the drippings and just stir, you know, with a what do you call it? Um, uh, whisk, and I remember her showing me when I was younger and just saying, You know, we're going to add a little bit of salt and pepper and just a little bit of flour, and you keep, you know, whisking it around and you get all the lumps out, and that's how you make the gravy. So, I had bought the packaged gravy because I'm like, I'm not going to buy that jar stuff that looks so disgusting, it's all watered down and it looks just goopy and gross. And I'm like, No, I'm gonna just buy the packaged stuff, I'll make that. And that you just add water to it, it's just powder, and you just add water to it. And I then I thought, I can make. My own gravy. So I did. And it was super good. I mean, it really was. It's gross when you think about it. I mean, it's literally the fat, the wet fat, the hot, wet, sweaty fat off the bird with flour added to it. It makes a roux. You guys know that word, right? A roux. I guess that's when you add like flour to, I don't know, butter or something. And it's, oh, my dog is barking. I don't know what the problem is. Anyway made that. It turned out really well. Like I said, the turkey was really good. We did the sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, stuffing, cranberry sauce, rolls. Uh, my ex-husband, Chris always likes, I don't know why, but he loves spinach in the can. So I bought that especially for him last night. Um, he will eat it straight out of the can. And that's what he used to do when we were married. I always thought it was so disgusting. I mean, I know it's good for you, but He would just straight up eat it out of the can and i'm like that looks like it came out of a creek bed like moss off of a rock it's just so gross he loves it so um he got that that was a special side dish for him and um what else do we have we just did really basic stuff but it was it was pretty good so that's over and we had um oh my god we had the best pie we had this chocolate peanut butter i think it's more peanut butter like peanut butter cream it came out of the frozen section at the grocery store. And it's comes with a chocolate um, pie crust and like white frosting around the edge with little chocolate chips on it. But it's peanut butter cream. Oh my God. It was so good. Has the perfect amount of salt in it. I I can't really describe it any other way, but there's this Little tinge of salt to it. Oh my god, it was really good. So Thanksgiving was um I don't know, it went over really well. We took a bunch of fun little pictures and those are on my Instagram and Facebook. It's all my personal Instagram, not my H I V Instagram. I tend to do more of my personal stuff on that. Um Jennifer Levon Instagram. It's Jennifer L-E-I-G-H V-A-U-G-H, don't forget the A. N so you can check those out if you want. Um, so let's see what else, um, a lot has been going on on TikTok since the last time I was on here, it's been blowing up. Um, the last time I was on here, I think my TikTok had about 64,000 followers. It now has 82, I think 82,000. Let me double check. Um, oops. <laughs> that was a video of my rat. Um, 81.3, 81,000.3. So like that is insane what happened was is I did a video just real quick in my car one day and I just put a bunch of little clips together about what HIV is this is my video I don't know who needs to hear this but I have HIV and this is how much it affects me this is it one pill a day I got it from sex from an ex-boyfriend because I know you're gonna ask he didn't know he had it and now I have it My pill is free. I have no side effects. My life expectancy is the same. I'm a teacher. I live a completely normal life. And the greatest news is that this virus is so suppressed that when they test me for it, it looks like I don't have HIV. It's called undetectable, which means also that I cannot transmit the virus sexually. I have no shame about my diagnosis, nor should anybody else out there who's diagnosed with HIV. You're still an amazing person. You're still worthy. Don't let this ruin your life. It's a completely manageable condition today. All right, that's it. Any questions? Let me know. Don't be mean in the comments. I'll delete you. Okay, so that video, whoo it just hit a million views today in five days. Has 205,000 likes. Um, I can tell you that the video that I did, the um, this one, that... I could be brown, I could be blue, I could be violet sky, I could be hurtful, I could be purple, I could be anything you like. I, could I be- do love that song. That one has just in comparison, that one has double the views, 2.3 million, so uh, over a million plus 300,000 more views, but that video only has 145,000 likes. So the one that has a million has 205,000 likes. The one that has 2.3 million has a hundred, what did I just say, 146,000 likes. So quite a big difference. Um, this new video did really, really well. And TikTok has really promoted it. And I have to say there's one that Eric Cutter and I had done in the car that got a lot of views, but it did not get very many likes. It was the one where he says, we screwed up. We got AIDS. Uh, Where is it? the here it is. this one we screwed up we've got aids yeah <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> I live we with didn't that. get aids i'm trying to reinforce that it's hiv yes we did i did not get aids from him i got hiv from him which tra- turned into aids but yeah, you can't you can't give aids to for people a second. so that one i mean this is kind of crazy but in comparison that has 1.1 million views but only has 23,000 likes so not so many likes on that Um, But a lot of views. So it's interesting to see, you know, the algorithm on TikTok, it doesn't always mean that um, they're not going to show your video if you don't get enough likes. They, for some reason, decide that they want to show it. I don't, you know, you never know what, why they show things and why they don't. But that one, this most recent one I did about how I have HIV has really taken off. I'm really happy about it. And it gained me almost 20,000 new followers in like a week, which is just insane. So in comparison to YouTube, I have, I think right now, let's see what I have on YouTube. God, I don't even, it, YouTube is the Facebook of Instagram, like literally. is Does that make sense? Oh, I, I screwed that up. So YouTube in comparison to TikTok, it's like everyone goes to TikTok now instead of YouTube. Same thing happened. People used to use Facebook and now they go to Instagram. So that's, you know, that to me is the same comparison. But I have 63,346 on YouTube. Um, and like I get maybe 10 new people a day on YouTube, where on Instagram it's like over a thousand. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. It, like it's the numbers. So you just have a video or, and you know, once you have a video that's doing well, and you keep kind of like pulling from there's when people comment, and then you answer one of their comments. So it shows up in the comments of that video that's doing well, then that video takes off, and they all start taking off from that one video that's doing really well. Now the video slowed down a little bit. So I don't know that if I do a, a video from a comment, if that makes sense, because I can answer a comment by making a video on it. Um, you know, I don't know at this point because it's kind of slowed down if it would really take off again. But um, I guess my whole point is is that, you know, a lot of people are learning about HIV and a lot of people are following me to hear more about HIV, which is awesome. I, that always blows my mind. Like, would I follow someone to hear them talk about HIV? Doubt it. If I didn't have it, I don't think I would want to know more about HIV. I don't think I'd care. So I'm always really impressed that there are people that um, want to follow me and hear what I have to say about HIV. I did do a video about my medication um, and how it works in my body. And I used this Pac-Man analogy that I've used with my kids before. And I don't think I've ever really talked about it on my podcast. So what I basically said is that my pill is like Pac-Man and the virus is the are the ghosts. And literally the the you know the pill comes in every 24 hours like pac-man and it ate up all the ghosts originally so they are all gone now there's like none left you know they started getting to like there was just a couple left with just the flashing little lights and um anyways so they're all gone now right so what is happening now is my pill sits at the entrance so where pac-man would sit and the ghosts never get to come in basically or what I'm trying to say is they never get to come out of the cell. So the ones that are laying dormant in the cell in the latent reservoir are the ghosts sitting, you know, inside those little corridors that you can't see on Pac-Man waiting to come in. And the rest, like the game would be my free flowing blood. And the pill sits there at the gates and doesn't ever let the virus come out. So that's essentially what's going on every day when I take my pill is that there's just always medication in my body, keeping the Oh, my mom's calling me, keeping the ghost from coming back into my body or the virus. Hold on. Let's, let's talk to mom real quick. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm recording a podcast right now. What are you doing? Oh, i call my back. It's okay. Okay. Yeah. I'll call you back. All right. Okay. Did you have a good time? Yeah. Okay. You. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. We had fun. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. I'll call you back when yeah, I'm call done. call back. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. okay. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Okay. So, um, I don't know. I just like that analogy and people seem to like it and it seems to make a lot of sense and it really is truly what's happening. So, okay. And then what I wanted to talk about, <laughs> I was, uh, there's so many things going on right now for World AIDS Day, which is happening on December 1st. And, um, I was in a conference last week with, it's called let's stop AIDS and you can follow them on Instagram. It was a youth conference. They'd asked me to be in it. They asked me to come on and talk about for 10 minutes about, um, basically disclosure, like to a sexual partner. And there was another lady that was there sort of talking about the laws in Canada and how they work and how there's a lot of discrimination with disclosure and all of that. And I was supposed to kind of come on and talk about my personal stories and all that, which was fine. And I did that. And I was given 10 minutes to speak. And I, you know, I'm never at a loss for words and it is never hard for me to talk about HIV. But this was, I don't know what it was. I got so uncomfortable because, first of all, I cannot see anyone who's there. So all I saw in the zoom was the other woman who was there from this like legal network myself. And then there was a narrator and he was 15. I found out he was quite young. I was like, yeah, he's young. Um, and then other than that, there was a chat room, but I didn't see anything, but the questions coming up from the, um, person who was running, I Think her name was Kate. She was the one plopping the questions in there. There was not many questions. But so basically when it came my turn to speak, and I didn't know how many people were watching at all. I had no idea at all. They showed me a picture of a studio later, and it there was literally four people staring at a big screen with my picture on it. I was like, but I knew there were people watching from home too, so that could have just been people that work at Let's Stop AIDS. I'm not totally sure, but um it was funny because I, again, I had no idea how many people had registered to listen to this. It was a youth conference. And, um, but the thing is, is that when I went to speak the camera, well, all I can see on my screen is myself and I don't hear anything. I can't see any other faces. You know, sometimes when you do a zoom, like when I was uh, doing online teaching, I could see all the little windows of all the kids. So it felt like, you know, you're talking to somebody. Um, and I've done other Zooms where I knew there were people there because I could see like, I don't know, like maybe things that they were writing in the comments and they'd be kind of moving. But this was really different because it was literally my face staring back at me on my computer screen, like taking up the entire screen. And I'm talking for 10 minutes to my face and it was really unnerving and I was kind of getting lost in things I was saying a little bit. I was able to keep it on track, but I was so aware of like staring at my face. It was awkward. So anyways, I'm relieved it's over. <laughs> got through it. Um, I have another speaking event tomorrow with, let me say what the name of it is, and I don't know when it's going to air. It's color what is it? Colors something. And I want to tell you so that you can look it up on Instagram. Oh, here it is. Uh, color positive, color dot positive. So I need to follow them back. Hello. Um, making the straight fit in the LGBTQ. That's what it says in their profile. Help us make, help us with our COVID-19 food campaign. Um, I don't even know where they are. I'm, I get asked to I you know people ask me to speak all the time and I like kind of like lose track of who's who and where they are and what they're totally representing I just just put me in front of a camera and I'll talk about HIV to anybody but anyways that's tomorrow and then on Friday not Friday hello Monday Monday Bruce Richman has me set up with other advocates to speak to Google Ireland. Really awesome. And we're going to talk to people that um, basically don't know much about HIV. Our demographic that we're speaking to is just like pretty much a hetero crowd that, you know, might think that HIV has sort of disappeared. So they got people from, you know, different demographics. Um, Of course, I'm the white straight lady. And, you know, we're all going to talk about our experience with HIV literally for like three minutes each. And then there's going to be a... like a question and answer period. And it's like an hour. Um, I'm actually getting paid for this and it's Google. So they're taking good care of us. It's amazing to get paid finally to speak because it doesn't happen very often. So, so grateful to Bruce Richmond for this opportunity and I hope I do. him proud. So, um, what else? Oh yeah, I'm so bummed. So I did a live in my car last I think it was Saturday. Yep, last Saturday. And I had my bullet in my purse, and I have a little tiny square box that it came in when the FBI sent it to me back in '90. Probably got it in '92 because I was shot in '91. And speaking of 91, I was shot eight months before Freddie Mercury died. So that's kind of like the time frame there. I was in college then. Um, that was March of 91. And then Freddie died in November of 91. Um, but I, yeah, I, I don't know what happened. I went to open up my purse pocket the next day and the little box is not, it's tattered. The, the, the top part of it, one of the corners is ripped. It's a really tiny box. It's like, you know, one inch by one inch or maybe a, yeah, about one inch by one inch. And um, it's, you know, not too deep, just deep enough to hold a bullet. And, um, anyways, there is a, another bullet in there that has, you know, like the one that you would put in the chamber with the, oh, I've got a cat for my mouth. The one that, um, you know, like a bullet before it's actually been shot out of a gun. So I always have that in there as comparison to show people this is what it looks like before it was shot. And then this is the one that went through me. Um, and then there's a little note that's like, folded up and put in the box also that came from my mom the day that the bullet showed up. She said, Jen, your bullet is here. We went to the movies. That was, I've always kept that. I do not know what I did, but I can't find the bullet. I can't find my bullet. Everything else is there. It was all loose in the front pocket of my purse. Yes, I have checked my car um, with a flashlight in every nook and cranny you can even imagine. I have no idea what happened to it. I th- thought I brought my purse into my closet. You know, it was within a 24 hour period because I knew I had it during that live. And then the next day I couldn't find it. And it was like everything else in my purse was there, but the zipper might've been open. I don't know. I can't find it anywhere. So it's a little devastating, like, but really, you know, part of me is okay with it because I'm, it's on video. I have it on video and I don't know. Like I'm 51. Like how much stuff can I take with me? I mean, who's going to want my bullet? My kids? Like maybe, but really like all this stuff I have, I keep looking at like all the stuff in my garage. I'm like, I got to just start throwing crap out. Cause I don't want my kids to be burdened with all this stuff, but yeah, I don't know. that one, that one's kind of a bummer. But after a while, like no one would care. Like my kids, kids are not going to give a crap about a bullet that went through grandma's wrist. I don't, and chest, I don't think so. So Who knows? It might show up, but for right now it's missing and I'm trying not to be too bummed out about it, you know? So anyway, moving on. Okay. Let's talk about a few articles that have been out there that people have been asking me to talk about. We'll start with the HIV and the COVID vaccine, or the fact that if you get the vaccine, you will now become more susceptible to HIV. People, come on now. Let's let's get a hold of ourselves and realize that there's something called fake news. I've seen this show up far too many times in my comments over the last week, and I just shake my head and cannot believe that anybody really believed this. But anyways, here's what I found on the internet: No COVID-19 vaccines. This is from local 12. I don't even know. Does it even matter um, to cite this source on here? Finn, what is the problem? I don't know. It's a lo- local news channel, and anyways, it says no. COVID-19 vaccines don't cause HIV, AIDS, or cancer. So here's the claim. Receiving the COVID-19 vaccine shot makes you more likely to get AIDS or cancer. Here are the facts. The claim is false. On October 25th, Face Grant, <laughs> <Facegram>. <laughs> Facebook and Instagram removed a live video published by Brazilian President uh, Jair? It's Jair Bolsonaro. In the video, Bolsonaro falsely claimed that people in the UK who had received two coronavirus vaccine doses were developing AIDS faster than expected. Days later, social media posts repeated the false information. One popular Facebook post falsely claimed, Y'all, the shot is giving people cancer and HIV. But immunologists, infectious disease specialists, and cancer researchers contacted by the Associated Press said COVID-19 vaccines don't cause cancer or make individuals more likely to contract HIV, which is the virus that causes AIDS. I'm glad they um, clarified that. Yeah. So can we just like, let that go? That is just so stupid. It brings me back to a time when there was stuff going on at the border, a lot of stories about when Trump was president. And one of them was, it was like a huge flashing light in my face. Well, I mean, I know there's fake news, but like this was such a fake news story, but it made the HIV community go crazy. And I was like, you guys, why are you falling for this? So the story was, is that HIV positive parents were having their children taken from them at the border. Okay. Let's think about this. Okay. So HIV is predominantly something that happens between men who have sex with men. 70% of the cases in the U.S. are men who have sex with men. So who are all these HIV positive hetero couples that they're talking about? And secondly, how would they even know they had HIV? Like, are they testing them at the border? Are they walking up with papers that say I have HIV? Come on. So like this made me crazy. And um, I was... I was upset about it at first. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, this is just a crazy story. And then it was interesting because people in my community were just going with it and furious about it. And they wanted me to write something up on it. And then I was just like, I just kind of quietly backed away. I'm like, I'm not talking about this because I think this is all made up. So again, there are definitely fake stories out in the news and people fall for them and believe them if it falls into a narrative that makes them feel good. I mean, I do it too, but that one was really just way off to me. Okay. Here's the next story that everyone keeps asking me to talk about. The woman in Argentina who apparently is cured of HIV. um, And obviously we don't know how it happened. This is from NBC News. Woman's own immune system has possibly cured her of HIV. So researchers were unable to find any viable HIV in the woman's body, even after using highly sophisticated and sensitive tests to scan over 1 billion of her cells. Um, she was diagnosed in 2013. So here it goes. Um, this is by Benjamin Ryan. A woman in Argentina has become only the second documented person whose own immune system may have cured her of HIV. I, I mean, yeah. I guess people keep asking me, is it true? Is it true? And I can only share what I know from the news. I have the same you know information as you do. Um, but I will comment on it. So researchers have dubbed the 30-year-old mother who was first diagnosed with HIV in 2013 the Esperanza patient after the town in Argentina where she lives. In English, Esperanza means hope. I enjoy being healthy, the Esperanza patient who spoke on condition of anonymity due to the stigma associated with the virus. Isn't that interesting? Even though she does not have HIV anymore, she still does not want anyone to know who she is because there's still some kind of association with HIV. I mean, is that insane? You'd think you'd want your face all over the news to say, I don't have it anymore, but she doesn't want anyone to know who she is. So she told NBC News in Spanish over email, I have a healthy family, I don't have to medicate, and I live as though nothing has happened. This already is a privilege. So the co-author of the study, which was published Monday in the Anals... Annals, <laughs> Anals? I don't know how to say that freaking word. Oven Anals? annals. It's annals. Oh my God. I cannot believe I said annals three times. Of internal medicine said they believe their findings findings will indeed bring hope to the estimated 38 million people globally living with the virus and to the ever expanding HIV cure research field. The case serves as one of two proofs of concept that a so-called sterilizing cure of the virus is apparently possible through natural immunity. I mean, yeah, It says, this is really the miracle of the human immune system that did it. One um, says, Zhu Yu, I think that's how you say that, X-U, and then the next part of the name, Y-U, Zhu Yu, a viral immunologist at the Reagan Institute in Boston, who in partnership with Dr. Natalia Lofer, a physician scientist at... Institute in Buenos Aires, Argentina led the exhaustive search for any viable HIV in the woman's body. Um, now we have to, it's so interesting. Like how would they even know to do that? Because when I test for HIV, they don't find it in my body either, but there's no one doing an exhaustive search to see if it's still there. We just kind of know I still have it like, but it doesn't come up that I have it. It says I'm not detected. So I really wonder what led them to doing this exhaustive search to find out whether she truly had it anymore or not. I don't, I don't know. So now we have to figure out the mechanisms, said Dr. Devin Deeks. I know him. <laughs> I know him. He's in this freaking article. Dr. Devin Deeks is at UCSF, a prominent HIV cure researcher at University of California, San Francisco, who was not involved with the study. How does this happen? He says, and how can we re- recapitulate this therapeutically in everybody. Recapitulate. That was the word he used. Scientists are pursuing the Byzantine task of curing HIV on multiple fronts, including through gene therapy, kick and kill efforts to flush the virus from its so-called reservoir. That's where Pac-Man is sitting, right? And the reservoir is that little tunnel. Um, Or block and lock methods to keep it trapped in cells. So like putting a little locked door So Pac-Man is sitting on that little gate, but he locks a door so the ghost can't come in and therapeutic vaccines that would enhance the body's immune response to the virus. So to date, researchers have successfully cured two other people therapeutically in both cases through complex and dangerous stem cell transplants. And one of them was Timothy Ray Brown, who recently passed away about a year ago. Um, And I've interviewed him. It's on my YouTube channel. He had leukemia. He had a stem cell transplant. And then his HIV was gone. Um, It's all on the interview. And, you know, it was interesting because he went on PrEP because he was a gay man. And he said, yeah, I don't want to get HIV again. So I'm on PrEP. (laughs) You know, it takes a pill a day to keep it you know, cause he, I remember he said, he goes, I like to have sex and I don't want to get HIV again. Um, so yeah, he was on PrEP, but I think he had a partner, um, before he died. I know he did. Um, so I don't know that he was on PrEP anymore. So anyways, HIV has proved extraordinarily difficult to eradicate from the body because it will infect certain long-lived immune cells known collectively as the viral reservoir. That's the little... That's where the ghosts are hiding. They can spend lengthy periods of time in a resting state. This keeps the viral DNA, known as provirus, that is encoded into those cells under the radar of standard antiretroviral treatment, which can only attack the virus in infected cells when they are actively churning out new copies of HIV. You... Um, was also the lead author of a paper published in Nature in August 2020 that analyzed 64 people who, like the Argentine woman, are so-called elite controllers of HIV. These are among the estimated 1 in 200 people with HIV whose own immune systems are somehow able to suppress the virus's replication to very low levels without antiretrovirals. Yes, these people do exist. The But they haven't been cured of it. They just can... Their body knows how... Their immune system knows how to... Keep the virus at a very low level where it's not affecting their immune system. So it's not like they're cured of HIV, it's still in their body. Like this woman, apparently, they can't even find it in her anymore, which is weird. Um, The studies authors found that these individuals' immune systems appeared to have preferentially destroyed cells that harbored HIV capable of producing viable new copies of the virus left over were only infected cells in which the viral genetic code was spliced into a kind of genetic dead zone regions of the cellular DNA that were too distant from the levers levers that propel viral replication boy that's I I'd have to read that a few more times and not be like doing a podcast to really get what they just said there. So hopefully you can rewind that and listen again and try to decipher what I just said. Um, Do I want to go through all this? Sure. One member of that cohort, Laureen Willenberg, a now 67 year old Californian was diagnosed with HIV in 1992, stood out as having an immune system that had apparently vanquished the virus entirely. Even after sequencing billions of her cells, scientists could not find any intact viral sequences. Again, I don't know why they would just all of a sudden focus on this person and, you know, check billions of cells. Because again, I don't look like I have it either. So I don't get that part. Willenberg's case of an apparent natural cure of HIV is quite similar to the Esperanza patients. According to you, the virologist theorized that each of these women may have mounted a particularly potent killer T cell response to the virus and immun here we go, this is a big word, an immunological full court press that researchers could possibly one day recapitulate, there's that word again, therapeutically. They copied that. That was uh, Stephen Deeks' words. Um, Oh, by the way, Stephen Deeks, I was um, kind of put, um, well, I got access to him through my doctor, and because she knows him through HIV studies and stuff, and then um, I've talked about him before, but he's, I've written to him a few times and just kind of asked him questions about HIV and like why this would be this way and you know what can you tell me about this so I can share it in my videos and so I have used some of his information in some of my videos and um he's just a super nice guy okay continuing on I'm very keen to learn more about the seemingly new phenomenon in extraordinary elite control of HIV said Rowena Johnston director of research and at AMFAR the foundation of AIDS research, and how the two women's cases have inspired her. There's really a lot to know. So there's really a lot to know. Well, there is. After the Esperanza patient began partnering with Yu's team in 2019, the scientists searched mightily for any viable HIV in 1.2 billion of her blood cells. They also searched 500 million. Can you imagine doing (laughs) this? This is this is uh, like hard to like understand how they're looking at billions of cel- cells and trying to find the virus, but you know, they have their ways, they're scientists. I don't know how they do it. They also searched 500 million placenta tissue cells after the woman gave birth to an HIV negative baby in March 2020 using highly sophisticated and sensitive genetic, Sequencing techniques that have only recently become available. You and her team once again found no intact viral sequences in the elite controller they were studying. Um, This goes... I'm not going to read any more of this. This is a lot. Basically... I mean i guess they're gonna study these women if these women are um game for it and try to figure out why they don't have hiv anymore and how their bodies eliminated it i mean that's really the question here is how did their bodies eliminate the virus completely i mean i've said it before on here that we have let me give you the um the true number here we have an estimated 380 trillion viruses living on and inside our body right now 10 times the number of bacteria and some can cause illness, but many simply coexist with you. So, you know, those viruses are still in us, but you would think like HIV, the virus would just still be in their body somewhere, but they just control it. But that's not the case. They're actually saying it's gone. And, you know, if we have 380 trillion viruses in our body, that means that once they got in us, they didn't leave. We just know how to control them. Our body knows how to control them. So. How did they fully eradicate the virus from their body? That's the interesting part. It is really interesting. So I hope that um, satisfies everybody's curiosity. And you know, everyone, I've had a lot of people ask me, it's funny, when these stories come out, I get so many emails about it or text messages or no, DMs, I get DMs, that's what I get. And um, they'll say, did you know? Did you know? And usually for about a week, it keeps going. And even during my lives, do you know about the lady in Argentina? It's so funny. Like, this is my world. You know, like, HIV is my world. I'm in the thick of it all the time. And it's funny to me that people still like, you know, two weeks later or whatever, don't think that I would know about this. Like, and they'll say, Oh, my God, did you know? Yeah, I know. You know, (laughs) same thing with like, the CRISPR technology and the cure for HIV or the vaccine for it. Did you know there's a vaccine that we're going to, yes, I know. I'm like, uh, y'all know. So I don't know. It's always kind of funny to me that people think they're bringing me information that I didn't know when this is all I look at and hear about. And it's like around me all the time. Most of my Instagram accounts that I follow are HIV related. So that stuff's just in my face all the time. Um, okay. So I want to talk about Freddie, but I'm going to talk about him last. Um, First, I want to talk about Pedro Zamora. Um, So November 11th, 1994, which was our November 11th, 2021, made it 27 years ago that Pedro Zamora died from AIDS. When I was diagnosed, you know, he was one of the first people that came to mind. And it was just this huge, like, oh my God, Pedro, Pedro. Like, I loved Pedro. Never in a million years did I think that I would be laying in a bed super sick feeling like I saw him looking on the show, knowing I have stuff running through my body that he was feeling the exact same way. Yeah, it just, it just was crazy because I, I loved that kid. I watched him as did anybody who watched the show and followed, um, you know, you didn't have to have HIV to fall in love with Pedro Zamora and I was addicted to the real world. It was filmed in San Francisco, which was just, you know, 20 miles North of where I grew up. Um, It was all very exciting. The real world was in its infancy at that time, but so popular. And just knowing that there was this kid on the show who had HIV, and we knew he was possibly getting sick, um, and we were watching it happen. You know, it was unfolding in front of our eyes, and it was just heartbreaking, but so uplifting at the same time and so inspiring, obviously. So I just want to share a little bit about Pedro and his journey on the real world and how kind of everything went on on the show and then after the show stopped airing and how um, it all wrapped up so quickly and he passed away so soon after the show ended. So Pedro Zamora was born February 29th, 1972. He was a Cuban-American AIDS educator and television personality. As one of the first openly gay men with AIDS to be portrayed in popular media, Zamora brought international attention to HIV and AIDS and LGBTQ issues and prejudices through his appearance on MTV's reality television series, The Real World San Francisco. And I meant to say before I went into this, that episode 12 of the Don't Stop Me Now podcast is my interview with his roommate from the show, Judd Winnick. I highly recommend listening to it. Judd is an amazing man, and he has continued to advocate for Pedro. And he always remembers to talk about Pedro on the anniversary of his death and Pedro's birthday, and there could even be another anniversary that he always remembers Pedro. And so I always see that on Judd's stuff, and it always helps me know that these are the times to share Pedro's information, because I'm following Judd and Judd is always on it and it means so much to me that he does that Um, okay so Zamora's romantic relationship with Sean Sasser was also documented on the show their relationship was later nominated by MTV viewers for favorite love story award and the broadcast of their commitment ceremony in 1994 in which they exchanged vows was the first such same-sex ceremony in television history and is considered a landmark in the history of the medium I'm really trying to get through this. You don't even know. My uh, throat is constantly going into a state of choking up and I'm gonna just... I, I get really um, emotional about these things. I You've heard me before. <laughs> okay, so Zamora sent an audition tape for the show thinking that he could reach more people simply by the national exposure than by constant travel because that's what he was doing or I guess he thought he would be doing to try to get the word out ab- about HIV and what it is. Six months later, Zamora was cast on the show beating out 25,000 applicants. And also, I don't think a lot of people know this, but his friend, I don't think the name is in here. Oh gosh, yes it is, hold on. Alex Escarano, Um, Escarano, yeah, that's how you say it. He also passed away from AIDS, and I believe it was a few years later, Judd talks about it in the interview. And he also talks about the fact that Alex was the one that wanted Pedro to go on the show even though Alex was the one that was probably more comfortable speaking, but he said, you've got the look, they will love you and you have to do it. So he pushed him to do it. And Pedro wasn't like, it wasn't really his idea. It was really Alex, his friend saying, you need to do this. Like you need to get on this show and you need to get out there and talk about this. I mean, just thinking about this, like think about this conversation that took place and Alex filmed him to send in the audition tape. Little did they know this moment between them, this decision to film Pedro, would turn out to be a history-making move that has affected so many people. Oh, there it goes. Okay. Hmm, Get a hold of yourself, Jennifer. Okay. Midway through filming, Zamora's health suddenly declined. He was suffering from night sweats, bouts of pneumonia, fatigue, and weight loss. Producer John Murray stated he got sick much faster than he expected. That's when he made us promise to tell his story to the end. (sighs) Okay. Um, I just, just knowing, um, how sick I was, I just can't imagine how he got through this process being filmed and not feeling well. It's, um, it's so brave what he did. And, um, I just, it just blows my mind that he did what he did. And, uh, I hope he can see, you know, I really goddamn hope that he can see what his efforts did because they did affect so many people. Um, yeah. Okay. So, uh, Okay. And then I'm going to talk about Freddie Mercury after this. I have to take a break. I'll try to get through it though. Okay. The cast vacated the real world house on June 19th, 1994. And the first episodes of the real world San Francisco began airing a week later. That's a pretty fast turnaround. Um, In production, typically I think with like Survivor, they don't really get the first episodes out until about six months later. Like, my nose is all plugged up now. Um, it takes a while to get the show's turnaround. So that's a really fast turnaround to have the first episode showing, you know, a week later. And they were obviously producing the next show and that next show trying to, you know, get the next one ready for the following week. I can't even imagine what a scramble it must've been to make a storyline and have everything flow. And I mean, whew, a lot of work, but yeah, they had that out pretty quick right after the show wrapped. So, over the next five months, Pedro's condition worsened, and he was hospitalized in August um, of 1994. He was diagnosed with toxoplasmosis, a condition that causes brain lesions, fatigue, headaches, and confusion. His CD4 was 32, and he was suffering from PML. So it's a, that's an inflammation of the brain that affects The ability to speak and it also affects short term memory loss. Those were the lesions, I believe. Judd talks about that in the episode. On November 11th, 1994, at the age of 22, hours after the final, hours, hours, this is that, is that not crazy? Hours after the final episode of The Real World San Francisco aired, Pedro. Surrounded by his family, longtime friend Alex Escarano, Sasser, his husband, Judd Winnick, and Pam Ling. Zamora died at 4.40 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. He was buried two days later. I always think I'll get through these things without crying, but they bring up so much emotion for me because there's this connection, you know? Um, Anybody with HIV knows what I'm talking about. We're connected, you know? And it's just really hard because he didn't make it and I get to be here and he didn't get to be here. And it really feels unfair. So um, you know, a lot of times when I think about my advocacy and what I do and why I do it, I think about Pedro and you know, I do it for him because he can't anymore. And um, it gives me, you know, inspiration to think about him and what he did and how brave he was to speak out at a time when... You know it was really scary to be speaking out at that time it's not so much anymore but it was back then so (sighs) yeah love the kid wish he was here and i always hope he's hearing me from somewhere up there okay moving on to freddie freddie 30 years ago yesterday i was going to try to do it the day of but it didn't happen um passed away from aids and Um, There was a lot of different articles celebrating his existence. This one I found, um, the poignant final message Singer released the day before his death. So it's been 30 years since the Queen Frontman's death from AIDS-related causes. (sighs) Interesting, they show on this online article a video of um, Queen and George Michael perform at Freddie Mercury tribute concert. That still blows my mind that George Michael isn't here. I still don't even understand that. Like, did we really know how he died? Was it fentanyl? Like, Prince, did he have AIDS? That wouldn't even make sense because, you know, we have treatment today. He would have treatment. I just don't get how George Michael's gone. Okay, back to Freddie. So fans of late Queen frontman Freddie Mercury, and by the way, just so you all know, it's F-R-E-D-D-I-E. It is not Y. He's F-R-E-D-D-I-E. Mercury are celebrating the singer ahead of the 30th anniversary of his death. Mercury died from AIDS-related complications on November 24th, 1991, having declined to speak publicly about his diagnosis until the day before his death. So nobody knew exactly what was wrong with him. Obviously, he was in failing health. He was very thin. He was frail. Um, He didn't do a lot of interviews as it was, but he did not disclose his diagnosis to the public until the day before he died. So on November 23rd, Mercury issued a statement to the press regarding his condition, confirming media speculation that he had tested positive for the disease. Following the enormous conjecture, this is what he says, following the enormous conjecture in the press over the last two weeks, I wish to confirm that I have been tested HIV positive and have AIDS. It's interesting. In this article, they wrote AIDS capital A and then lowercase I-D-S. It's never typically written that way anyways red Mercury's statement i felt it correct to keep this information private to date to protect the privacy of those around me however the time has come now for my friends and fans around the world to know the truth and i hope that everyone will join me my doctors and all those worldwide in the fight against this terrible disease it's crazy to me that he died the next day it continued, my privacy has always been very special to me and I am famous for my lack of interviews. Please understand this policy will continue. The last chapter of Mercury's life forms the basis of a new documentary, Freddie Mercury, The Final Act, which features interviews with the artist's friends and former bandmates. You can read the independence interview with the documentary. That will be on BBC Two on November 27th and is also available on BBC iPlayer. I don't know if I'll be able to get a hold of that. Um, But, you know, I'm not sure I want to watch it anyways. There was a tribute from Adam Lambert. I guess they're, I don't know if they're going on tour or it was just some tribute songs that he had done. I love Adam Lambert. I did watch him on... American Idol. I think he's an amazing singer. Obviously the guy is super talented, but truly I'd rather just watch him perform maybe on Broadway. I don't know that I really like watching him do Queen. I don't know why. I just don't. There's no one that's ever going to be able to replace Freddie. It's just never going to happen. So, and he's different and I know he's not trying to be Freddie. He's, He's doing his own thing for sure, but, and he has an amazing voice. He can certainly pull off all the songs, but it just doesn't feel the same. I don't know. I don't like it, so I'm not really into watching that either. But um, yeah, it's nice to think about Freddie. Of course, this podcast is named in honor of him, and I hope that most people know that. <laughs> and it was a you know a name that came to me really quickly. I guess it was October of 2020 when I decided to do this podcast. So it's been just over a year now, and. I don't remember the actual moment, but I was trying to come up with a name and maybe I'd listen to the song that day. And then I was like, that's it. <laughs> that's the name. I got to call it. Don't stop me now. So, um, yeah, but it's absolutely in honor of Mr. Mercury for sure. All right, guys. Um, I always, I've just been talking and talking. I don't even know how long I've been talking for. Oh, I did good. I did almost an hour. Woohoo. I always kind of want to do an hour. My last one was kind of short. I want to thank all those people on TikTok who have been telling me that they love my podcast and they listen to it all the time. And I'll be doing a live, and all of a sudden I'll get comments that just say, More podcasts. I'm like, Oh my God, okay. I'm like, Yes, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I thought I would do it a little bit different today and read some articles. I hope you guys like that style. Um, You know, I always try to keep it real with my um, real life stuff that I'm doing. Um, Dating is, um, there's stuff going on, but I'm kind of keeping it sort of quiet right now because the person that I kind of hung out with for a little bit. Um, yeah, I just don't want to talk about him on here. I just don't. So, um, it's not that he'd even probably ever know, but I'm just kind of keeping it quiet for right now. So, and that's even more than I wanted to say. <laughs> I don't even know why I said that. Um, so anyways, I hope that everybody is having a really wonderful Thanksgiving. If you're celebrating that, I know this is not everybody's tradition anymore. And I know there's a lot of negative things about Thanksgiving and I get it. And really for me, it's just a day to spend time with my family. I don't really care about the tradition so much, but we did do the food because that's what my kids wanted. Um, So I hope that whatever you did today, you feel good about it and it made you feel like it was representing whatever makes you feel good and right. And that's it for now. I wish you all well and I hope to be back sooner than later. And I love you guys so much. And I thank you all who listen and I just can't thank you enough. You have no idea. Thanks for listening to my little, my little show in my closet. <laughs> have a good rest of the week, everybody. I'll be back before Christmas for sure. Hang in there, everyone. Bye, guys. If you'd like to be notified for any of my upcoming podcasts, be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to help this girl out, then please rate, review, and share my show. Thanks, guys.